The following program is brought to you by the 511 Media Group. This program is available on iTunes, Spotify, the 511 Media Group YouTube channel, and 511mediagroup.com. What is going on, Spookles and Witches? Welcome back to another longly awaited episode. <laughs> we are working on it, I promise. We are having some technical difficulties. I feel like you've said that the last three episodes a long-awaited episode well you know we do have a busy producer so well we're busy too yeah but you know we're we're recording them they just yeah. need to be put out there yeah <laughs> that's the only issue <laughs> yeah yeah um already well, any announcements brie no are you sure yes i don't think we announced that uh in the last episode you were engaged I wasn't in the last episode. Yeah, so, so. Uh, <laughs> announcement, Bree's engaged. <laughs> okay, now the world's going to know that. Yeah, but a goal. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, that happened, but it is not as scary as I thought. So <laughs> it has no business being here. I wanted to announce it. <laughs> um, anywho, <laughs> um, we are back again. Always back again. Um, we have some stuff planned out for the next month. Um, we are very busy people, so please be bear with us. We have very, very busy lives. Um, Summer works almost 40 hours a week, um, and I, w- uh, I yeah. do a lot. <laughs> um, I mainly have time now um, between my quarters and between vacations, and we're going to make it work, but... You know, just be just be patient with us when we don't have time. Um, this is a side thing for us, and we love doing it. But you know, we also can't stress ourselves out. Mm-hmm. So, um, we are hopefully by the time this goes up, going to have out um, the I believe Lizzie Borden still isn't up or Jack the oh. Ripper, yeah. Um, and then Marilyn Manson will also be up. So hopefully, we're back on track. This week or within the next week, um, but we're going to keep recording and trying to keep up with them um, to the best of our ability. So uh, this week, <laughs> we're getting back into um, one of our cult favorites of um, creepy pasta, and one of my favorite stories, to be honest. Oh, um, yeah. I love The Man in the Basement. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories, um, again, by Polterkites. We love him. Um, I believe he's done editing... Um, the stories now, so they should be completely um, updated and complete. He also has a website for all of his stories now, too. So if you go on Reddit and look up um, U-Polterkites, he has all of his um, stuff on his page. But we are now on part six out of, like, 13, so we're getting there. <laughs> um, we're, we're getting there for sure. But we, we have a while to go. Actually, there's 14 parts. I've lied. <laughs> We're not even halfway done yet. <laughs> By the time this episode's over, we will be halfway done. <laughs> but we are on episode six. So, refresher, um, the last two episodes, if you don't want to go back and listen because you already listened to them or whatever, um, the last episode um, was after he broke his legs going on the stairs because he saw the man in the basement. Mm-hmm. And he went over to that guy Mitch's house or dad's house to talk about it. And he basically said not to do it. It's unstoppable, blah, blah, blah. Just follow the rules is the, your best bet. Basically he's like, you're shit out of luck, buddy. So we picked back up on this one on episode six. Um, I just had to get some water before I started this. Um, Cause I know I'm going to be out of breath by the end. <laughs> so alrighty. Rule number seven, the intruder will not move so long as you have guests in the house, guests who actually want to be there. Cut rack, where are you, said Mitch, sounding like he hadn't slept in days. Home, I said, rifling through a box of tools. My phone set to a speaker sat on the garage floor. You didn't see my calls? Yeah, my bad, service out here. Look, Brandon, I need you to be 100% honest. Did you speak with my, with a neighbor? Yes. <laughs> a long draining silence followed, then click. Mitch ended the call. Shaking my head, I went back to searching for my tools. Right now, I didn't have the time to worry about Mitch. First, I needed to barricade the basement door. Second, I needed to call every single person in my contact list and offer them a spare bedroom rent-free. Sounds smart. Yeah. <laughs> Digging through a tangled mess of tools, my hand finally gripped around a familiar, smooth, wooden handle. Out of from the box, I pulled a hammer. Bingo. 
Resting on a single crutch, I stood on the at the basement door, pounding nail after nail onto the scraps of two by fours and whatever else I could find. Unlike Paul, I didn't have the knowledge or the resources to build an apocalyptic bunker door. So this makeshift zombie defense would have to do for now. Hammering away uh, faster and faster, I once again fell into a strange calm, a meditative peace that filled with every breath with purpose and my head slipped. The hammer slammed into my pointer finger and throbbing pain shot out my arm. Cursing through my teeth, I clenched my right hand. The hammer fell to the floor and dented headfirst into the hardwood. Fucking idiot, fucking idiot, stupid fucking idiot. <laughs> my thoughts exploded into a triad of self-abusive screaming. This guy just can't get a break. Yeah. <laughs> a few seconds went by and the pain numbed. My thoughts cleared. I took in three slow breaths and squat down to pick up the hammer. I froze. Through the bottom crack of the door, the basement light was on. I honestly couldn't remember if I turned it off or not, but the light being on didn't bother me, not anymore. Not after everything I've seen. What bothered me was the dark shadow stood on the other side of the door, flanked by orange glow. That and the sound of breathing. Barely audible, but unmistakable. Labored, strained, and rattling, like an empty bottle of spray paint. Suddenly, the door strained forward slightly as if hands pressed against the other side. Breathing deep, I gripped my hand around the hammer and rose to a standing. I turned my head and pressed my ear flat against the door, listening. The intruder was whispering, Fucking idiot. He gasped quick and stuttering, Stupid fucking idiot. <laughs> Labored breathing continued all the while, almost as if there was two separate voices. He was repeating my earlier thoughts aloud, right down the very random intrusion. That's so funny, though. Like, <laughs> imagine you just, like, sitting there and, like, the guy's just like, You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> you can't even lock me out, right? <laughs> like, fucking idiot. <laughs> To be made fun of by a demon. <laughs> like, honestly, I know this is supposed to be, like, more creepy, but I, like, do not have it in me to be, like, a creepy, like, beanie weenies type <laughs> voice. You know what I'm saying? Fucking <laughs> idiot. <laughs> like, like, he's giving me hardcore um, Smeagol vibes from the Lord of the Rings. Oh. <laughs> um, just, like, the way he's talking to himself. Kind of, it's almost mm -hmm. like he's talking to a voice in his head. So he's, like, he's kind of a fucked up ghost. <laughs> um... I'd heard enough. I'd step... Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Dent in the floor. Dent in the floor. Lights on. Turn them off. The whispering continued. Is that breathing? I think... I think breathing? House. Coat rack. Basement. Dent in the floor. Dent. I'd heard enough. I stepped back, shook my hand out, lined up the other nail, and hammered away. It's not real, I told myself. It's all inside your head. Finally, I slammed the last nail into the last board. I took four steps back and marveled at the ramshackle creation. It wasn't pretty, but it got the job done. My eyes flickered involuntarily to the bottom of the door. The light was off, no more whispering. Thank God. Wiping my forehead, I turned back towards the living room and slumped onto the couch. I took out my phone and pulled out my contact list. Time to find a willing guest. Two hours later, dialing number after number, straight to voicemail after straight to voicemail, and not a single bite. Coat wreck. Only one person actually answered, a roommate from college. I'd be more than down, but I'm up in Canada right now. Of course. Maybe I'd have to put it up and add up on Craigslist. Fuck. I tucked my phone away, just about ready to give up when three small knocks at the front door. I already knew who it was. Pushing up from the couch, I grabbed the crutches, marched across the room, and pulled open the door. Hey, Brandon. There stood Howie, dressed in a red sweater, red jeans, and a wearing a green backpack, looking less chipper than usual. Hey, Howie. I said, trying my best to act normal, despite the fact that a living nightmare stood between the basement door mere feet away. Howie, despite all this quirks, was a sight for, four, for sore eyes. Sure, I didn't trust him, but at least he wasn't Mitch or Paul. Yeah, so this is kind of uh, awkward, but I'm wondering if I could crash here for a couple days, he said. I can sleep on the couch, pay rent, whatever, no worries if not. He shrugged. I looked back over my shoulder, then back to Howie. Uh, sure. Immediately, he pushed past me, strolled across the room, threw his backpack on the floor, plopped down on the living room couch, and kicked up his feet. What's with the door? He said, pointing at the barricaded basement door. Pulling the front door shut, I set forward. It's, uh, it's an art project, I lied. Replacing the door frame soon, anyways. Huh. I said how he clearly not buying it. The carver kid been bothering you still? No. I lied again. No man in the basement corner yet? Said Howie, chuckling. At first, I half-hearted laugh. <laughs> no. That's good, said Howie, turning back to the TV. Where's the remote? Howie's sudden arrival was suspiciously convenient at best, and outright malicious at worst. But right now, I didn't have time to think about that. If the rules held, his being there would at least buy me some time to figure out how to stop all of this. Maybe I'd sell the house, maybe I'd defer ownership back to the bank, but judging by the no third parties rule, I doubted either of those would actually work. So far, the only people who knew anything about the intruder were Mitch and his father. And according to Mitch, he didn't count as a third party because he'd already believed. But Paul, his father, that part was getting to me. Something was missing. Paul's 
whole fix your life, fix your problems spiel bothered me, but something else bothered me more and I didn't know what it was. Like that feeling you get when you're about to leave home and you know you've left something important behind, like an unscratchable itch. I offered Howie the spare room, but he preferred the couch. I didn't fight him on it. I wanted to keep him here as long as possible. Didn't even ask why he needed to stay. It was kind of nice to not be alone in the house for once, even with Howie. At half past nine, Howie fell asleep watching Jeopardy reruns. I muted the television and went upstairs. Tomorrow, I'd plan my next steps, but right now, I needed to sleep. I climbed into bed and flicked the light off. A bump in the night snapped me awake. A heavy thud like somebody hit their fist against the wall. I checked the time, 2.58 a.m., I climbed out of bed and, hopping on one leg, pulled on a dirty t-shirt and a pair of jeans. I tucked my chrome switchblade into my back pocket. Another thud from downstairs, heavier than the last. What was Howie going to say about this? I grabbed my crutches, carefully moved down the stairs, and peered into the living room. The blue glow of the muted television cast over everything. Howie still fast asleep on the couch. Thump. The basement door shook this time, like somebody had slammed their forehead against it. I backstepped away deeper into the living room. Howie was still out like a rock. Heavy sleeper. Thump. Okay, I told myself to breathe. Remember the rules. Barricading the door will slow him down, but it'll be loud. That's all this was. I'll put in some earplugs and blast white noise and fall asleep. Turning back towards the kitchen, I stepped across the room as quiet as possible. Last thing I wanted was for Howie to wake up and start asking more questions. Thump. This time, the hardwood floors beneath my feet shook. I froze. My eyes drifted back to Howie, still asleep, his face motionless, serene almost. I turned back to the kitchen. Either Howie was world's heaviest sleeper or he couldn't hear the sounds at all. Stepping into the kitchen, I... Brandon? A small muffled voice called out from behind the door. I looked back over my shoulder towards the basement door. Brandon? This voice repeated slightly deeper now. I turned around and faced it head on. Brandon? From behind the basement door, the voice strained sympathetic. Brandon? The voice repeated my name again and again, each time sounding completely different. Like a slot machine shuffling through different tones until it hit the right one. You in there? It was getting familiar now. You okay? Suddenly it shifted into a perfect mimic of my late father. Gently knocking the same way father did into my bedroom door after Zach, my best and only childhood friend died. A memory that until now I did my best to ignore. After Zach died, I biked home, sat on my bed, and stared blankly at the vinyl closet doors for six hours straight, eyes tracing every path on the wood garden pattern again and again, the entire world outside dissolving into nothing. The starscape painted walls somehow pushing closer and closer. I'm here if you need to talk, kid, my father called out one last time. For a second, I forgot it was the intruder speaking. For a second, I actually believed my dad was there, gently knocking on the basement door. Silence. Lingering silence stretched out for minutes. While I just stood there, barely breathing, eyes locked on the basement door, paralyzed. Finally, my lungs forced me to gasp in air. Oxygen flooded into my brain and awareness came flushing back. I looked around. On TV, played a silent infomercial about some vegetable blender thing and how he was still fast asleep. I shook out my hands, went back into the kitchen, opened the drawer beside the fridge, and pulled out a pair of orange earplugs. It's not real, I told myself again, trying to take in Paul's advice. I slid the drawer shut. It's all inside of your head. But again, the words fell flat, like empty platitudes after a funeral. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I turned back across the living room and crutched my way to the stairs. Time to sleep. Brandon? I was halfway up the stairs when a different voice called out from behind the basement door. This time a teenager's voice, strange yet familiar. Fuck this. I kept walking. Brandon, this voice repeated, this time tinged with fear, this time entirely familiar. I wanted to keep walking away. I wanted to leave, but my legs wouldn't move. Long forgotten memories came rushing back. Memories of Zach. Memories I ignored and shoved away because it was easier to pretend they never happened. It was easier to do everything in my power to ignore the dread than to face it head on. It was easier to pretend that Zach never even existed. Brandon, help. Zach's voice quizzered, terrified. Something's down here. He whispered, Brandon? He pulled the door handle and the door shook. Brandon? Zach whimpered, the fear in his voice growing each time he spoke. Brandon, open the door, please. He pulled the handle again, harder this time. Brandon, please open the door. He banged his fist against it. Brandon, I'm sorry, Brandon. His voice trailed off into sobbing whimpers and he slid down the door, muffled weeping. An image crawled into my thoughts, the image of Zach, gray hoodie, pulled over his head, curled up into a ball, weeping at the top of the basement stairs. Silence. A sudden and shrill scream of terror, primal, almost inhuman, followed by quick thumping sound of a body dragged over the stairs, screaming and pleading all the while. 
dragged down the stairs, down the hallway, into the rec room, kicking and screaming and begging. Up from the basement, echoing through the vent in the wall next to my ear. I'm sorry. Another voice. Not Zach's voice. Not my father's voice. A voice I didn't recognize. Panicked and remorseful. I'm sorry, Zach. I'm so sorry. I, I can't. I don't. The sickening sound of bone cracked against concrete. Like a tree branch snapping in the wind. The percussive beat of skull against stone again and again and again. Zach's whimpering shrieks for help turning more unintelligible with every impact. Even worse, the person killing him was profusely and sincerely apologizing the whole time. I'm sorry. Oh, God. I'm sorry, Zach. Sudden silence. Five seconds or five minutes. I didn't know. Only silence. Silence and then sniffling whimpers. Not Zach's voice. Not my father's voice. The voice of who I assumed was the intruder crying. Almost sobbing. Oh, no. It moaned, filled with unimaginable guilt. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It wailed. Then I heard it drop to its knees and fall to its side and maybe curl up into a ball and trail off into a pitiful, whimpering sorrow. Unimaginable grief. This went on for several minutes until finally more silence. Sniffling, the sound of somebody standing up, the sound of somebody dragging a body against concrete, deeper and deeper into the basement, quieter and quieter as if the rec room stretched on further than it should, further and further away until nothing. Dazed in a trance, I wandered the stairs into the bedroom. I pulled the door shut, stuck my earplugs in, and crawled into bed. I shut my eyes, and a sudden realization flooded over me. Coat rack. Finally, I understood the nagging itch at the back of my head. A realization so obvious, I hated myself for not getting it sooner. I burst into laughter. Not happy laughter, not funny laughter. Insane and compulsive laughter. Curling into a ball in my bed, I turned to my side and stared at the fake cherry wood vinyl closet doors. The doors that reminded me of my childhood bedroom. My eyes traced along the passive wood green patterns and the words of Paul played through my head all the while. Take the coat rack out past city limits and douse it in gasoline and burn it. I told Paul a lot of things, but I never told him about the coat rack. <gasps> oh. Huh. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> First of all, what the fuck? <laughs> What happened to this poor boy, yeah. first of all? And second of all, what the fuck, Paul? <laughs> Paul, what do you know? What are you doing? I wonder... Ah, <laughs> I have so many questions. Was was it just said that his childhood best friend was dead, not killed? Because now I'm thinking, like, was he killed? Does he know the killer? It was Paul. Everything yeah. was Paul. Yeah, this... <laughs> His whole destruction of his life was all Paul's fault. We, he didn't even know Paul until no. like a week ago, but it's Paul's fault. No, but Paul knew him. <laughs> Apparently. This is just, mm -mm, I don't like this. <laughs> the funny thing is, is like after these podcasts, we sleep in the basement too, and I'm always the last one awake. And like, <laughs> we have a motion sensor in our basement. And every time I'm sitting there, there's always one time that I don't move and Summer's dead asleep that... The light turns on, and I'm like, well, <laughs> now's the time, boys. It's a coat rack. I don't own any coat racks, but if I did, you I might. would cry. <laughs> I don't own a coat rack. I own a um, I own two, like, clothing racks. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to come to your house while you're not here and put a coat rack in the basement. No, because then I would know it's you. No. <laughs> Why would we have a coat rack in our basement? Because the coat rack theory is real. <laughs> What it's like uh what is it? You think it um the bye bye man, you think it and he appears or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You think it and the coat rack appears. <laughs> Imagine being haunted by a literal coat rack your whole life. <laughs> Not the monster, just the coat rack. Yeah. The coat rack just follows you everywhere you go. Yeah, we're gonna be at work one day. You're gonna be in a psych ward in like a padded room <laughs> and the coat rack's gonna appear like, and they're like, What the too? fuck? Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was part six that was kind of heavy i'm not gonna lie um oh what do you know <laughs> i read ahead and paul's name is in this so let's get let's get cracking rule one you will begin in the furthest corner of your basement if you see him do not overreact he may decide to move on i woke to the sound of rain rain tapping against the bedroom window trailing downward a pointless race to the bottom, large drops consuming the smaller. I sat up and stared and shut the closet doors. 
I sighed, still exhausted. The horrific sounds of last night echoing in my mind. Zach's whimpering screams for help. Reaching for my crutches, I stopped short. Water. A small puddle on the windowsill. I pushed up to a standing and crutched over. Water dripped off the windowsill and onto the floor. I wiped my hand against it. Cloudy white droplets clung to my fingertips. I ran another hand along the edges of the window seam until it caught a snag. More water. The window seal was broken. Yet another expense I didn't have money for. Great. Wiping my hand off on my shirt, I turned around when another memory entered my head. The dripping sound in the basement. The puddle of water and clumps of wet dirt in the basement corner. What exactly was that about? I grabbed my other crutch and went downstairs. I didn't know for sure yet, but I had a theory. Howie's green backpack sat in the middle of the living room floor. Howie? I said, no response. I shrugged and moved into the kitchen. Maybe he went out for the day. Either way, my curiosity was getting the better of me once again. The basement was inviting me down. One last time. I stood there thinking about puddles and coat racks, ruminating. I never specifically mentioned the coat rack to Paul. Sure, there's a chance he could have overheard me talking with Mitch, but that seemed unlikely. Maybe he really was possessed by the man in the basement. Maybe I really am completely insane. Maybe I'm trapped in a madness triggered by Mitch's note and misplaced coat rack. But that almost seemed crazier than the actual situation. Regardless, I needed to investigate the basement one last time. Easier said than done. I couldn't go through the main door thanks to the barricade and the intruder standing there. But thankfully, one of the spare rooms had a window, a small window in a cramped window well, but a window nonetheless. Hopefully, the few extra quarantine pounds wouldn't prevent me from squeezing through. Hopefully. I brought my trusty switchblade and pencil-sized high-power flashlight. I'd be going in dark because the light switch was on the stairs, and as I mentioned before, so was the intruder. No way was I go anywhere near him. Sure, I wasn't thrilled at the prospect of going down, but according to the rules, the intruder wouldn't hurt me. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> I have a question before I continue. This man is hoping he fits through the only way to enter the basement. He's hoping he fits. And if he struggles down there, how is he going to escape this guy? <laughs> yeah, he can't just, like, easily get out. This is, like, a scary movie when you're like, what are you doing? Like, you don't know if you'll fit. And if you do... Like, instead of using the front door, unlocking the door, you fucking run upstairs. Like, what are you doing? There's no way you're going to get out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, continuing. I crouched down into the gravel window well. Moving around with one leg was getting a little easier, but I still needed crutches. Through the window, I slid my crutches in first, and they clattered to the floor. A little louder than I'd like, but, and I waited, listening for a reaction. Nothing. Feet first, I pulled myself through and stepped down into the room. A room no bigger than a walk-in closet crowded with unopened boxes. Why did I have so much stuff? Squatting down, I picked up my crutches... It's not real, I told myself once again, flicking the flashlight on in no light. Are you fucking kidding me? I literally changed these batteries five minutes ago. I shook the light. Nothing. I smacked it with the palm of my hand, and finally it flickered to life. Thank fuck. I was starting to feel like a Silent Hill video game character. Clunking, watching, walking controls included. Lovely. Flashlight between my teeth, I crushed across the room deeper into the basement. My hand gripped around the doorknob, and I froze. The stupidity of me being down here again suddenly hit me. Was this really such a good idea? I glanced back at the open window, inviting sunlight clasped into the room, the peaceful sound of rain petting against gravel. Fuck it. I turned back to the door. I still don't know why, but something told me that the water in the basement corner would answer many questions. Maybe everything. Filled with bitter resolve, I clenched my fist around the doorknob, turned it, and gently pushed the door open with my knee. Okay. I stepped out into the hallway... It was quiet down here. Unnaturally quiet, like the world behind me suddenly vanished in a non-existence. Like the basement itself was now the entire universe. I turned leftward, the light between my teeth cast in the distant stairwell corner. Empty. Thank God. I turned rightward, the cold concrete rec room greeted me, uninviting as always. Even before all this, the rec room creeped me out. There was something about the hallways that led to rooms with blind corners on either side. Anything could be hiding there, waiting to jump out as if you stepped in and... The random stacks of cardboard boxes didn't help either. I crouched forward. Shadows on the rec room's back wall lurched up and down in each forward step. My eyes darted back and forth, searching for any possible movement, any sign of the intruder. I stepped into the rec room and swiveled, checked the corners. Nothing. Everything motionless. So still, it almost felt like the room was on pause. A thin layer of dust covered all. I crouched forward again, and my cast-covered leg bumped into a stack of precarious boxes. 
a stack of boxes that collapsed into another stack of boxes and then another one. Stupid fucking idiot. He's very mean to himself. (laughs) The tumbling crash of random objects slamming into the concrete floor. Full of a took. I tensed up, bracing for the noise to end. Finally, the domino cassophony stopped. Silence returned. I looked back over my shoulder, casting light into the stairwell corner. Still empty. Good. I half expected something terrible to be standing there. Something incomprehensibly monstrous. I waited with held breath, waiting for the intruder to stagger down the steps, but nothing happened. Not even the sound of breathing. Not even the smell of burnt hair. Okay. I turned around and crept towards the back corner. I squatted down and studied. It was the same corner where the water had dripped a few nights back. Dry now. I looked up. Pink insulation and pipes. Maybe it really was just a leak. Maybe I came all the way back down here for nothing. I was about to stand back up when something caught my eye. Dust, or rather lack of dust. A perfectly dustless square in the corner of the concrete wall, about three feet by three feet. I leaned in close and squinted. There was a hair-thin line in the concrete, a crack, only visible from the perfect angle, a thin line forming the shape of a square, like someone had cut into the concrete with a laser. Almost reflectively, I placed my hand against the dustless square and pushed. The panel shifted backwards with a satisfying click. Then I shifted forward and slid to the side, revealing an entrance, an entrance barely big enough to crawl through. I looked back over my shoulder, shining the flashlight at the door to the rec room. Still nothing. I turned around and crouched down further. The entrance led to a tunnel, a long straight tunnel with dirt walls, dirt floors, and stained beams holding it all together. Unsafe, to put it mildly. It went on for about 20 feet and then took a hard turn to the right, a hard turn directly towards Paul's house, a tunnel connecting our basements. I barely even registered what I was seeing when the basement light flicked on. My eyes flinched shut as they reached to sudden sunlight. I spun around, eyes opened. Still nothing. Time to leave. I pushed up to standing and crouched back towards the hallway. The basement light flicked off again. Darkness. Fuck this. I picked up speed, hauled down the hallway, shoulder pushed back into the spare room, slammed the door shut, and locked it. Taking a deep breath, I stepped away from the door, spun around, and shoved my crutches through the open window. Hoisting myself through, I scrambled out of the window wall. I crawled away, lay on my back on the wet lawn. Freedom. Catching my breath, I stared up at the gray skies, rain doubting against my face. Suddenly, my phone buzzed to life. I pulled it out. One missed call, unknown number. Voicemail, one message. I tapped into the voicemail and held it up to my ear. Hey, Brandon, it's Paul. I, I'd like to set things straight. Call me back when you get the chance. I haven't been fully transparent with you. No shit. <laughs> Where do... Wh- <laughs> Is Paul the coat rack? <laughs> Is he the coat rack? <laughs> Why is there a tunnel connecting their houses? How does Paul fit in the tunnel? Well, how big is Paul? I don't know. Do I we would imagine like a normal sized man? Well, what is a normal sized man? I don't know. He rides a motorcycle, so he's got to be big enough to handle one. I could, I could handle a motorcycle. You don't have to be big to handle a motorcycle. Well, depending. I'm picturing like a motorcycle dad. Yeah. No, that's what I was picturing too. <laughs> well. Wow. I know. I don't know if I should read another one. We still have like another 20 minutes. Because I'm curious what he's going to say. (laughs) I want to know what he's going to say. Just read it. Read it. Okay. 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 I thought I clicked on the wrong thing. Okay. Of course he doesn't start with what I want to know first. (laughs) Okay. Part eight. Here we go. Throughout all of this, I kept thinking about my childhood friend, Zach. They never found his body. The only thing they found was a green bicycle mangled, twisted, and stained with blood and guts. Hit and run, according to the police. Likely a semi-truck that didn't even know at first. Some driver, driving for miles, oblivious to the mess of gore, stuck to the front of his truck. Drove all the way to the next brake stop. It's more common than you think. The driver probably got spooked, cleaned the gore off his truck, lied to himself, and then said it was a deer or something, and that's that. I never bought it. Back when I still cared, I was convinced something else was at play. Something incomprehensibly terrible. But considering the lack of evidence, it was most likely explanation. At least, that's what they told me. It took me over ten years to fully accept the given explanation. That was the first step to moving on. After that, I finally stopped thinking about Zach every day. 
sometimes I didn't think about him for weeks, even months. Up until the intruders mocking theatrics, I'd barely thought about Zach for years, and that was fine by me. Anything to get a good night's sleep. But now, memories of Zach played through my head like half-remembered dreams, like the time he jumped from his second-story bedroom onto the trampoline and his mom screamed at us from the living room. The time we stayed up all night playing Super Mario Bros. When my dog died and Zach came over and didn't say anything, didn't try to make me feel better, he just sat with me and that was all I needed. I didn't have a real friend before Zach and I haven't had one since. I agreed to meet Paul with, uh, with Paul in a public park. My plan was simple. Let him do all the talking, hopefully learn something along the way. At this point, I didn't make much sense to confront Paul on anything. I'd only bring up the coat rack if needed. I still don't know if Paul was Paul, but that didn't matter right now. Gray skies above, Paul sat on the park bench overlooking a duck-filled pond. Reddish-orange autumn leaves behind carpeted over muddy grass. I approached from behind. Paul? He looked back over his shoulder, breathing fog. Let's go for a walk. We're going to ask the guy on crutches to go for a walk. <laughs> That's so rude. We trudged down the path, boots crutching against the gravel. You know I struggled with drinking, right? Said Paul. I nodded. I told you the first time I saw the intruder was in the basement, yeah? Well, that wasn't entirely accurate. I did see him once before that, way back in 81. Holly and I, not married yet, were camping out in Utah, LaSalle Mountains. He stopped talking and looked around as if to make sure nobody else was too close. Satisfied, he continued. So there was this area not far from the main campsite. Bunch of caves. Not caves like tunnels or whatever you think. More like a pile of giant boulders overgrown with trees and moss and tiny spaces between the boulders. Crevices, some of them big enough to crawl through. Yellow signs, no climbing. Paul suddenly stopped talking. Up ahead on the gravel path, a tall man with a scarf wrapped around his lower face strode towards us. He was heading straight for Paul. Vaguely familiar, his boots crunched against the gravel faster and faster until he strolled right past us. As if we weren't even there. Paul looked back over his shoulder, waiting for a safe distance before continuing. So we're out by these caves and I was drinking, more than I should have been, and Holly, we were jumping from boulder to boulder, having fun, you know? But some of those rocks must have been over 40 feet tall, so we reached this one crevice, a bit wider than the rest, a sheer drop about 20 feet down, getting thinner and thinner right up into a slit of darkness below. Holly jumps at first, no problem. I jump at next, and my foot slips. He stops talking for a moment, thinking back, remembering. Part of me wanted to cut him off first in accusations, but another part of me just wanted to know what happened. He trudged onwards. So I tumbled over backward, head first into this crevice. My skull slams against the wall and I black out. Come to about 20, maybe 30 seconds later and I can barely breathe. My body's wedged between the boulders. My chest squeezed down on either side. My neck twisted in vice between the walls. I was stuck. Upside down and looking straight into the darkness below. He stopped walking again. His eyes drifted towards a nearby bench. You mind if I sit? I didn't respond. Paul strolled over and slumped down onto the bench, staring out over the pond. His cold blue eyes snapped back and forth over the water. I squatted down on the path in front of him, resting my elbows on my knees. A shimmering breeze crept over the pond and a wet leaf stuck to the back of my head. I pulled it out and tossed it back into the wind. So I'm stuck, he continued. Upside down, head first, wedged between these two giant boulders. Blood rushing, ears ringing out, gasping in little sips of air as my vision blurs in and out. Holly's above, screaming down, asking if I'm okay, but I can't answer. I can barely breathe. I try speaking, but only muffled whimpers escaped. You ever had a nightmare where you scream for help and your voice just falls back into your throat? Again, I didn't respond. So Holly, she can see my feet twitching down there, so she knows I'm still alive, and she yells down. She's going to get help. Tells me to try to stay awake. This was pre-cell phones, mind you. Though I doubt there'd be service out there anyway. He sniffed a little and wiped his nose on the back of the sleeve. So now I'm stuck out here completely alone. Sun's still out, but it's getting dark. I'm in the shadows anyway. I can't really describe the terror of it being stuck like that. He looked away. I'm doing everything I can to stay calm. Trying to focus on what little breath I had. There's, that's, there's the thing I learned back in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's called 4 by 3 It helps you calm down. Name three things you can see, hear, feel, and smell. So I started taking notes of my surroundings. Green moss, gray rocks, shadowy crevice. He paused again and looked directly at me. And that's when I saw him. Or at least the faintest outline. My eyes were still adjusting, but down below, about ten feet away, something was there. He went silent, his pupils dilating as if he was back in the dark. 
At first, I thought it was a shape in the rocks, maybe. Optical illusion, you know? All I could see was the faint shape of his body and the glint of what might be eyes. So maybe it was nothing. But as my vision adjusted, the whole picture came into view. Still dark, still covered in shadow, but unmistakable now. A man was down there, his body contorted and twisted, wedged between the crevice. Motionless. So fucking still. Almost stiller than the rock. Like a circus contortionist hiding down there waiting for me. Paul shook his head like a chill went down his spine. His face was filled with absolutely nothing. Cold eyes, dead eyes, like shark eyes. Again, Paul looked straight at me. Maybe it's a body, I thought, trying to make sense of it. Maybe somebody fell down there before me. Not much of a comfort, but better than somebody hiding there. But then, Paul cleared his throat. His face was changing. Changing so slow it was almost imperceptible. Like the sun moving. You can't see it actually move, but the next thing you know, it's over there. His blank face shifting in a portrait of pure terror. He was mirroring my inner emotion. My heart beat faster, thumbing against the rock with every pump. My vision fading, as well as my all the blood in my body drained downward until I was about to pass out. I welcomed it, and then everything went dark. Paul grimaced regretfully. When I came to, I wasn't stuck between the rocks anymore. I was biking. Green bicycle. Riding a green bike down the side of a highway at night, and I wasn't myself. I was somebody else. He paused and looked over at me. I tried to maintain a neutral expression, but it was hard considering how crazy his story was getting. It's crazy, I know, but I was trapped behind somebody else's face, almost like it was a mask. I could even feel their thoughts, their memories. Then everything went dark again. I appeared behind the eyes of somebody else now. Some guy wandering around a shopping mall at night. Some washed-up stranger filled with bitter self-hatred. I can still feel his sadness sometimes, his regret, then darkness. This kept happening again and again. A clusterfuck of random visions seemingly connected, but always looking out through other people's eyes. Some familiar, most strangers. Past, present, future. I saw things incomprehensible contradictions. It could have been five minutes, but it felt like an eternity. Like I lived multiple lifetimes. Like this was always my existence and always would be. It's hard to explain how terrifying it was. Maybe because it doesn't make any sense. Paul rubbed his jaw thinking. Everything before, my life with Holly, fishing on a summer weekend, playing with my kids, it was all nothing but a clean, but a thin sheet that might be ripped away at any second. Paul shifted his weight. I can't explain why, but that strange message was so clear, like my entire life had been a dream and I'd just woken up in the real world, a world where I didn't exist. There wasn't a shred of doubt in my mind. He paused for a moment. Then I woke up in an ambulance, back in my own head, hysterical, screaming and wailing about the man tucked between the rocks like a spider ranting and raving about the visions holly and the paramedics were doing everything they could to calm me down and keep me from hurting myself finally they ended up sedating me i dozed off until the hospital he wiped his mouth concussion minor cuts bruises he chuckled all that for that doctor told me it's common for concussed people to hallucinate especially considering the lack of oxygen and me being upside down for such a long time he told me about a fellow who almost drowned once thought he saw the easter bunny in the water (laughs) I've always been scientifically minded, so that made sense to me. Brains played weird tricks. Hallucinations made more sense than some circus contortionist sneaking down there just to fuck with me and visions of other worlds, of other people. Paul sighed, leaning forward, and rested his elbows on his knees. He looked at me as if that was all he had left to say. I was about to speak when... I'm guessing you found the tunnel, huh? He said plainly. I didn't respond. I didn't know what to say. Paul nodded, pushing up from the bench and walked down the path. I followed Yeah, I meant to tell you about that, he smiled grimly. So after I tried shooting the intruder all these years back, he rubbed the knuckle stub where his pinky finger used to be. Things got bad, really bad. The fucker started taking steps towards every other day, sometimes every single day. Tried so many things to slow him down, but the only things that worked, the maze and the bunker door. Had some friends of the army help me with that. Told them I was building a doomsday bunker. He shook his head. I was a medic in the war. Did I ever tell you that? Again, I didn't respond. I was doing everything in my power to stay calm. Of course, Holly and I were already on thin ice, and then I shot my own finger off, he smirked. Building an apocalypse maze bunker was the cherry on top. She took the kids and left, which honestly was fine by me. I didn't want my family around the intruder anyways, or around me for that matter. I was still painfully aware of the fact that I might just be completely insane. He stopped walking for a moment. Looking around again, he continued. But her leaving... 
That really kicked me into gear. I forced myself to stop drinking. I started getting help, professional help, started taking meds and the right meds. And sure enough, things actually got better. The bunker door seemed to be keeping the intruder at bay. Sure, he was loud as hell banging on it every night, but I wore earplugs. Blasted white noise, and that was good enough. Weirdly, I was almost at peace with him being there. Paul sighed, breathing out fog as we walked on the path. Then one night, maybe six, seven months after Holly left, I wake up and it's quiet. Dead quiet. No banging on the door, no screaming and hollowing from the basement. Just nothing. Then silence filled me with the worst fear than anything I'd felt before, getting stuck between those boulders included. It terrified me for a few reasons. First, it made me wonder what he was up to. And second, I'd gotten so used to the sound, I couldn't even sleep without it. In a twisted way, the intruder had given me a purpose, something to reckon with, and now he was gone. Paul looked up at the gray autumn sky, squinting as diffused sunlight cast into his face. So a few weeks of nothing go by, and then on a Sunday afternoon, Holly calls me up out of nowhere. I guess she's heard through the grapevine that I was doing better and getting help. She asked me how I was doing, asked me if I wanted to get coffee, maybe see a movie. Can you believe that? Just like how we met, she asked me out. Back in those days? Smiling, Paul shook his head. I said that'd be nice. Said next Tuesday would be all right. Paul went silent as if considering the next words carefully. Then I set the phone down and turned around, and there sat in the middle of the living room floor a bottle of cognac. He scoffed, unopened. Paul rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb. I was sober for over half a year at this point, but I drank the whole thing. He glanced over at me, catching the judgment in my eyes. He looked back down the path. I drank it because I was there. He shrugged, and then I get the brilliant idea to go check on the intruder. You know, just to see what he'd been up to. I'd only ever try to kill him once, and that backfired. Paul chuckled, but my shit-faced brain got some ideas in it, and I, drunk as hell, staggered downstairs, lurched open the bunker door, and tumbled inside. But there's nothing down there. No stack of boxes, no circus consortionist, nothing. So I stagger further down the maze all the way to the back corner, and there it is. A tunnel dug into the basement corner, barely big enough to crawl through. At first, I assumed he was setting to warp back into my house, so I lost my mind. I scrambled back upstairs, planning to come back down with a nine mil against my and try God knows what. Paul started walking faster now. And then I go upstairs, and there he is, standing in the dead center of the living room, right where the bottle of cognac was. Covering his face with his hands like a kid trying to hide, and that's when I finally fucking noticed it. On his left hand, the fifth finger was cut off short of his first knuckle. Paul held up his own hand. Everything suddenly clicked. He snapped his fingers with surprising loudness. I didn't know why, and I still don't know why, but he's connected to me, and in my head, the only way to stop it was to... He trailed off into somber silence. Still drunk as fuck and not thinking straight, I get up to my old pickup truck and peel off down the hill, up to the number seven, and I just drive. I drive past the old house, up through Merchant, and kept going. I knew exactly where I was headed. Pedaled to the floor all the way there, finally feeling like everything made sense, like every single little thing in my life was building towards this. Paul went quiet as a family of four strolled past. So I keep driving, he continued, faster and faster towards the Ballery Cliff, wiping around every corner like a high-speed chase until I screeched to a stop, nearly slamming my face against the steering wheel, high beams casting over the long stretch of empty road, everything pointing towards Ballery Lookout. He stopped walking and stared straight ahead as if he was back in the truck looking down a long stretch of road. I shifted back into gear, slammed my foot into the pedal, and the tires spun out against the pavement. A few seconds later before they caught, and the truck lurched forward, hauling faster now. Straight towards the cliff edge, city lights below casting up into the night above. I shut my eyes. Any second now I'd be sailing through the air, and again, he snapped his fingers. Everything crumpled into a crashing stop. My head snapped forward and smothered into a latex airbag. The scent of plastic and booze and gasoline. He paused for a moment, eyes flicking back and forth across the path ahead. Turns out the city installed stopping posts on the cliff edge. Guess I wasn't the first, said Paul. From Bubmer falling off, I drove all the way back home. It was nearly bright out by the time I got there, and the intruder was gone. Paul started walking again. I latched up the bunker door and didn't go back down for years. The whole time expecting any day now, he'd come pushing up through the floor. But it never happened. Paul shrugged. Look, I know it's a lot of talking, but all this to say, I can help you pass this off to somebody else. I shook my head, tired of the games, tired of the walk-arounds. The same way you passed this off to me? I mean, it wasn't intentional, but yes. More or less, he might still be coming for me, though. I don't know. Look, you don't need to decide right away. How far along is he? Top of the stairs? But still in the basement? Yes. 
Do you have a guest over? Yes. Make sure they stay away from him. You barricaded the door? Yes. Good. Take some time to think about it. Even if he gets out of the basement, there are other ways to pass him off. More impersonal ways. Also, don't be freaked out if you see him upstairs. Even with the door barricaded, he can do that, but he'll always sit back to where he left off. All of Paul's meandering still didn't explain this inexplicable knowledge of the coat rack. I almost brought it up, but stopped short. Maybe Mitch was right. Maybe the intruder really did get to Paul. Maybe Paul wasn't even aware. That was a boring ending. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just... I don't know where this story is going anymore. I'm I'm lost. <laughs> but at one point when he said that he was having like visions and he was behind other people, he said he was on a green bike. And yeah, that, I know. That but like, I'm like, did you kill him though? Or yeah, like, did were you, you kill just him? like, was were he? You, in, yeah. Did you watch him get killed? Like, what happened? Who killed him, Paul? <laughs> How did the guy know then? Like, if he actually saw that, then I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. Not a yeah. lot of answers. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to find out. <laughs> I know. Alrighty. All right. So we have the paranormal FBI ones. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we on? Three and four? Part three and four. <clears throat> and this is by uh, Stanford? By T-Stash. Oh, T-Stash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey there, Lynch again. I'm sorry for the lack of recent updates. I had to recuperate from actual exhaustive physical demand. I'm hoping you've had better days than I've had recently. Honestly, it was more hell than I could have hoped for. So my higher-ups finally decided on a punishment for my first post, mandatory field work for an expendable office scrub. I managed to survive, so that's good at least. When I got back, I found someone else in my office. The person they assigned to keep an eye on me was Selena. Cruel irony, in my opinion. She was a tad less than furious when she found out I put her story up. Let me just tell you this. It's a major pain as well as incredibly difficult to type with one broken arm. As long as she doesn't kill me or damage me beyond repair, she can do as she wishes, as declared by her higher-ups. So I finally found that scripting I last wrote. This one is very weird, which is saying something. Anyway, here it is. This case, there was no suspect. There wasn't even a crime, at least not in our world. Sink- sitting on the suspect's side of the table was an utterly man, Hanklin. He claimed he was a police officer that served 10 years ago until he retired. Our records pulled up an officer matching his description and blood type, yet their file said that they had been deceased for the last 15 years. After hearing his story, we suspect he came from another Earth, but from a different timeline or universe, dimension? The, the fact is that he didn't come from space specifically, so his case is ours to deal with. Interrogating this case was a stunningly gorgeous woman. I can't even begin to describe her. We call her the Eye Siren. Her true physical description has never been seen by a human. She appears different to everyone. The pinnacle of absolute beauty as each person imagines it. Whether you look at her in person, through a screen, even a photo, or even a photo, her form is what your subconscious desires. She's been able to use this ability quite well to her advantage, getting whatever she wants in this case, the truth. Mr. Hanklin, you said your name was? I wanted to ask you to tell me again, in your words, what happened. Hanklin stared in shock and confusion at I. For simplicity's sake, I'll refer to her as Sire. Saying I over and over again might sound like I am inter interrogating you look like her why how a smile crept onto the lips of sire i see i am able to bring your loved ones back to life for small times of communication they speak through me as i can take their appearance one of her many lies to break down the walls of protection it's worked in the past countless times most of the time grace how you've been that's a dumb question you're dead why did i ask that I feel weightless. It feels almost like sleeping. My mind lost most of what I can remember. What happened, Hanklin? He began to sob, covering his face with his hands. You were right. You were right about him. I should have just ended it there, and now you're gone. Everyone's gone. It's all It's all right. S- slowly, breathe. Let's take one step at a time. Hanklin took a few shuddering breaths before continuing. You're right. Okay, okay. Started in high school. I had a best friend, Michael. You hated him. 
There was something about him you saw that no one else did. We graduated together. I got the lowest scores of our class. He was standing up there with the highest scores anyone's ever seen. He had more focus than I did, and it showed in everything he did, he would always, he would change the world. A few months went by when both Mike and I went into the military. Basic training was brutal, but also kind of fun. Our sergeant scared the piss out of me, but Mike, damn, he had no emotion. No one could break him. He did everything perfect. He was a pinnacle for what we should aim for. Naturally, most people hated him for that. We made it through basics. A few months go by, and we were all deployed. We were there for a few years. A lot of hell happened. I felt lucky I made it with just a few scars. Mike, he always went above and beyond for us, always making sure we made it back after every mission. He was a brother to me. When time came to go home, Michael stayed. He told me, I'm not done here. I want to finish what we set out to do. I couldn't talk him out of it. None of us could. I came home. He stayed in hell. I wanted to put my experience to use. A desk job didn't suit me. Okay, that hurt. I went through the police academy, barely making it through the legal stuff. It was tough as hell, but I preferred it to the hell across seas. I spent about a decade as an officer before it felt more like a burden. I retired and spent a few months with you, Grace, my wife. Hanklin's eyes began to tear up. Sire spoke to him in what I'm guessing to be Grace's voice. But what happened? How did I die? I don't know. You were there one minute and gone the next. We were sitting in a hotel room, packing up to head home. I got a phone call from a number I haven't seen in years, Mike. I answered him almost immediately. I asked him how he was how he was doing. Silence. I asked him if he was okay. More silence. In a voice that sounded older than it, I had last heard it, he asked me a question I wasn't prepared to answer. Do you have a solution to stop the violence in this world? I was quiet for what felt too long. I told him that I guessed treating each other with kindness and consideration. He was quiet again for half a minute. If that were true, why hasn't it worked? I didn't know how to answer him. Grace, you kept looking at me with concern. I was about to tell you before Michael started again. I don't know what else to do. I wish I knew the solution for world peace, man. For what's about to happen, I want you to know, Hank, I'm sorry. I've tried to find the answer. I've always found it in the past. I hope you can forgive me. I love you, brother. The line went dead, and the ground started shaking violently. I didn't know what the hell was happening. Everything felt so hot all of a sudden. I tried to see through the window. All I saw was a blinding light. My mind felt like it was fading away completely. The next thing I knew, I was in an emergency room. I'm not sure where. I was in so much pain I couldn't, st- couldn't think straight. After a couple weeks, my body stopped hurting. From the doctor's report, I found on the edge of the, I was found on the edge of the Nevada desert, radiation emitting from my body as if I had absorbed it somehow. These advanced doctors cured me from my blistered covered radioactive body. Come to find out, I everyone I knew personally are gone. Hardly anyone ever heard about them, as if they didn't even exist here. Hanklin took a few sighs before going on. I just wish I could have the answer for him, you know? Maybe I could have stopped this. Maybe you would still be alive. He stared longingly into Sire's eyes. You did your best, Hank. You told him what you believed. It was up to him to decide to accept it or not. Go and live. Be happy. Not for my sake, but for your own. But I don't know where to go. Apparently I'm classified as dead here. Why not try to get a job here? They seem accepting of a dead woman already. What about that? Damn, spending your whole life believing... And someone just ha- just to have them destroy everything you've had? That sounds like my first three relationships. Not sure where they're going to assign Hanklin, but I suspect he's going to be another field agent. With all that radiation, I'm curious if he'll becoming a- become a hulking massive muscle, join a team of fighters, and save New Jersey or something. Oh well. I'll update you as soon as I can. Have a great rest of your time of day, and stay safe. Your friendly PFBI guy. That one wasn't as exciting as no. the the wolf one. That yeah. one shook me to my yeah. core, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, this guy's legally dead, but he's not. This sounds like an X-Files episode to me. Okay. <laughs> I know you haven't watched it, but, like, that sounds exactly like the plot of an X-Files yeah. episode. Like, it's good in that sense. Like, it just seems like X-Files to me. Yeah. That werewolf one is still the best one. It's so <laughs> good. Okay. Now we have part four. <clears throat> hey there. Lynch here. I hope you're doing well, because I'm not. 
wow, okay, <laughs> all right, lunch. <laughs> I'm in quite the grumpy mood right now. That explanation can wait, though. Selena had recently asked me for a favor. Now I suck at keeping secrets. Really? Really, Lynch? You suck at keeping secrets. <laughs> That's news. If you told me about something, I'd probably not shut about it and post it here or something. To keep in absolute secrecy, she threatened to break both my legs and remaining arm. I'll update you on when she says I can. Something, <laughs> <laughs> something strange has happened here. We've had an entire shift of our superiors and higher-ups. I know this because their files appeared on my desk today. On top of the stacked fo folders was a note that read, Key IA, vanish immediately. Here we use the term vanish to arrest, er erase any and all history, both physical and digital, of their existence. Their bodies are taken care of by someone else. I'm not sure who, though. Usually, whenever they shift a superior's position, it's one at a time. It gives the current superiors time to train the newbie while seeing if they're fit for the job. Never, and I mean never, have ever every single person been replaced at all once. I suspect it will take quite some time to shift to normalcy. Anything from a couple months to a year, which gives me some time to laze around on the internet. Speaking of which, something very interesting happened. So I found another series of posts online, and it rubbed me the wrong way. Apparently, this guy's roommates with one of the most infamous paranormals of history. Good old dark tentacles, Mr. No-Face. Maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you haven't. This isn't going to be one of my normal scripting since this happened recently. That and I actually wasn't assigned to script their interrogation. Like hell, I'd let someone else script this. I had a bone to pick with this guy and I wanted answers. I swung open the door to the room overseeing the interrogation. Fred... The current script looked at me in confusion. You've been reassigned, Fred. I'm taking this one. Go take the rest of the day off. He looked at me with suspicion, but nodded and left quickly. I overheard him mention something about a lucky lady he's going to meet. I didn't exactly catch it. My mind was preoccupied. Joseph, a man that had moved in with a, a paranormal being. At the time, they didn't realize who or what their roommate was. Soon after he found out, he was introduced to many more of these beings one of which murdered his wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's just natural. It's, it's fine. You move in with somebody and they kill your wife. Just like, oh, okay. Just quirky roommate things. <laughs> Instead of wanting vengeance for from the one who did it, they went after the organization who hired them. Due to Joseph's interference with one of our main partners, we stepped in questioning him. I didn't bother to see who was interrogating Joseph. I wanted to listen to this. I don't care, child. I refuse to call him that name. It doesn't suit what kind of creature he truly is. Out of respect, I'll call him Kent. Happy? The way I see it, you owe it to me to call him Terry. You guys are the ones who forced me to come here. Hell, I could have just called up Abraham or Megami or something to get you dickwads off my tits. I... <laughs> During an interrogation, you're going to say that... <laughs> I doubt he and his companions would have would have any respect or any desire to respect your life, a mere human. Megami is a bit iffy, and she didn't let those marine guys leave me behind. I think Abraham is even, even friends with one of them. I'm pretty sure his name is Dexter, so Abraham probably has connections to the other two. Anyway, my point is I know plenty of entities that would help me if I really wanted them to. In our report, we've not been able to find the three operatives who coincidentally found you. Not even the organization came up. Well, technically there were four to begin with, but some stuff happened to Terry. Some stuff happened and Terry killed one of them. But yeah, I couldn't find anything on my end either. Very well. We have our ways to find out, and I'm certain you can keep a secret, correct? I don't make promises like that unless I know what I'm signing up for. You may not have a choice in this matter. Given your experience with these beings, we would find it most beneficial if you were to take the take a job with us. Of course, you would be sworn you would be sworn to absolute secrecy. Well, how do I put this simply? Oh, I know. Fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> the interrogator sighed deeply. I'm losing my patience, child. A simple yes or no shall suffice. Sorry, I thought I made myself clear. That would be a no from me. That wasn't so hard, was it? Fine, we're done here. Oh, hell no. I'm not done here, here just to hear a few questions. The bane of my jealousy sat one sheet 
of a glass away. I would be damned if I didn't get the answers I wanted. I violently opened the door and walked into the interrogation room without care. The interrogator was about to speak until they saw the rage in my face. Sorry, not sorry. I still have a few questions I want to ask. You can script this one for the records. I sat across from the bane of my existence. His smug grin fueled my rage. Yet I withheld my murderous desire. They signed with impatience. Another one? Come on. Nice to finally meet you, Joe. I've read up on your background, even your posts online. Strange how they seem to have been hidden from everyone else's prying eyes. First off, I know I'm going to sound like the doc here, but don't call me Joe. As it for being hidden from my people, I wouldn't exactly agree with that. I mean, Terry found it, so it couldn't be that hard to find. Fine, Joseph. If they're easy to find, then someone is choosing to hide them from our servers. I'll look into that. As for your posts themselves, one, how are you still alive after all that? And two, have you received any punishments from your posts at all? Someone wanting you to keep thing these things a secret, perhaps? Well, if you actually read the post, then you should know that I wasn't alone. I went into the bunker with Terry and some other entities. Had I been alone, I could understand your confusion, but seriously... Did you guys actually do any research on the entities I was with? You guys are basically the men in black. Don't you dare compare us to those space missionaries. Had it occurred to you that, had it occurred to you the use of that bunker? Why monsters had targets to kill and not humans not carrying out the work instead? You and your goons destroyed one of our favorite bases. If it was one of your bases, why was some of the United States superhuman guys there to take the leader? It's hard keeping track of all of these story arcs. I'm the one asking questions here. It's normal for us to deal with organizations to take out unruly employees who begin to have their own plans. I'm not even sure why he killed your wife. The mention of Joseph's wife made him glare at me. His joking habits were no longer present. Hey, don't bring her into this. Shouldn't this interview just be about what happened that night? Of course it should be, but you were asked those questions already. People get bored of answering the same questions over and over, which is why I wanted to personally talk with you. An air regret was held as I tried to form my reason for being here. Well then, as for your second question, that would have to be a no, unless you count Terry making fun of my childhood karate lessons. No punishment for posting it online? So you've gotten off scot-free. To be honest, I'm jealous. My gaze shifted to the cast around my broken arm. Oh, I get it. You must be doing the same shtick then. But since you work for the government, you got punished for doing it. Since you work in a paranormal division of the government, you can't even tell anyone in the land of the living how your arm got broken. I'm sure this Dexter you mentioned could find a way, way to tell that story. Also, you hit the nail right on the head. So, Mr. Immortal Joseph, how and why? I prefer the term semi-immortal, but how and why what? How did you find yourself in this paranormal world before your wife, before Terry, and why do you choose to continue in it instead of norm normality? Well, you could say it started with my wife when. He took a sip from his water. <clears throat> when Jeff killed her. A few months later, I just needed somewhere to live for cheap. I found a good deal and took it, and that's when I met Terry. He was pretty cool, a closeted weeb, but, we, but aren't we all? I rubbed the back of my neck in embarrassment. Perhaps some are willing to admit to have, to having ancient sword collections. By the way, by weeb, what anime posters are you referring to? Anything specific? Fuck! I never saw them when I beat Terry at magic since Abraham sent us. Never mind. Back to the topic at hand. I chose to stick with the paranormal life because of this point. I think I'm a little too deep to get out. Also, life is a whole lot, a whole hell of a lot more interesting when you get to meet things like skinwalker, skinwalkers and sirens on a daily basis. Fair enough. Being too deep within this world only gives you one way out. Not a pleasant option. You've answered the question of working here. You like your freedom. Wise decision. I glanced through the glass at the script writer. I waved my hand over my neck, telling him to cut off my last phrase. I looked back at Joseph as he poses what I suspect are his last words here. What's with all this PFBI stuff anyway? It would make way more sense if it was FBPI. Think about it. The Federal Bureau of Paranormal Investigation sounds way better than Paranormal Federal Bureau of Investigation. Makes you sound like you're all paranormal rather than you're 
you research paranormal phenomenon. I stared at Joseph blankly for a few seconds. My slack jaw felt like it could hit the table. Are you trying to get me killed? How? Was switching around the letters alone not enough for secrecy? And you figured it out that easily? Called it. I know the government is stupid and there's no way they're that stupid. Uh Uh-huh. You'd be surprised. No one here has found your post. Otherwise, they'd have the answers and you wouldn't be here. Either people here are dumb as hell or someone hacked us to hide them. We leaned ba- he leaned back in his chair, letting out a sigh. Are we done here then? Doc says I need to take it easy, and this isn't exactly the vacation of my dreams. You still have 12 hours remaining for your detainment. Then we shall return your bl- belongings, and you may return home. Can't, you have, can't have you calling the paranormal Avengers on us. Well, are you going to keep asking me questions or what then, Mr. Boss Man? I turned back towards the glass, signaling that the interrogation was over. Afterwards, Joseph and I sat for a couple hours more and talked about anything and everything. I left soon after allowing him to sleep for the rest of his stay. Confronting the target of my hatred felt enlightening, strangely enough. Not sure for how much longer I can mess around until the new superiors settle everything. Oh well, I've got more posts to find online. Until next time, I'm your friendly PFBI guy. That was another weird one. Yeah. It wasn't spooky. It's like storytelling almost. Yeah. Like he's trying to explain like more about the organization. Yeah. Like at first the couple, the first couple stories were like talking about like actual cases, but now it's like getting into the organization itself Mm -hmm. instead of the case. And it seems like this person like knew about the organization too. Probably why he's in there too. (laughs) How do you know? But um, yeah, that's a uh, that's all we got for today. Um, look out for the new episodes that are not new. <laughs> uh, keep us posted and let us know if you're liking it. Um, as always, we love you and we thank you for all your support. <laughs>